Morning, familia. Before um, uh, we talk about the subject today, um, I'm sure that many of you know that um, this last week was uh, we were celebrating the sanctity of human life. Actually, on Tuesday, uh, the 22nd. Um, that's my cell phone. Thank you so much. I was going to charge the church for this, but <laughs> you should have just left it, leave it there. Um, now, let's go back to the serious topic here. Um, so as a church, we, and I know you know this, but as a church, we believe that, uh, we believe that all human beings have value and dignity because they have been created in the image of God, right? Um, so as a church, we actually want to celebrate uh, the sanctity of human life, and, uh, and we want to uh, uh, pray together. So this is a prayer that Pastor Sergio wrote for all of our congregations and all of our services, and we want to take just a few seconds to make this prayer for this special occasion during this special time, all right? Just pray, uh, please pray with me. <laughs> Glorious our most holy God, creator of mankind, and gracious giver of life, your eyes saw our unformed bodies, our frames were not hidden from you, our days were ordained and written in your book. We praise you, God, for we are created in your, in your own image and likeness. We praise you for our bodies are the temple of your spirit. We praise you for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we come before you in fear and wonder, humbled by the amazing reality of the sacredness and beauty of human life, but at the same time grieved by the devastating reality that dominates our culture, the legalization of abortion, the normalization of euthanasia, the proliferation of suicides, we mourn and lament for the many lives that have been lost. Have mercy on us, Lord. Forgive our sins, the sins of our nation. No mother should believe in the lie that her unborn baby should die. No father should, should willingly leave uh, nor abandon his children. No young girl should take her own life and become the victim of the pressure of a vicious culture. Have mercy on us, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. You are the father to the fatherless. You are the defender of widows. You are the protector of the lonely. Restore in us a sacred wonder, humble reverence for the gift of life. Reminds us, Lord, that we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is in Christ that we find love and acceptance grace and salvation, peace and forgiveness. It is in Christ that we find the defeat of death, the promise of a new life, the beginning of a new creation. And in Christ, we ask, give us your eyes to see life with hope and joy. Give us your heart to love others with truth and love. Give us your hands to serve everyone with boldness and mercy for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we all say, all right, you do me a favor and stand for the reading of God's word. 
And today, uh, the teaching comes from the book of Romans. So we're going to be reading Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, we're going to be putting these verses on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Lord, please speak to us this morning. We trust, Lord, your word, and we know that you work through your word. Uh, we are relying in the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Please make this happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, Amen. you may be sitting. Good morning, familia. So if you don't know me and you're new to the church, my name is uh, James Bond. And, uh, <laughs> my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, uh, the Latino version of James Bond. And uh, <laughs> that was not in the script. Um, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at church. And um, if you're visiting here for the first time, we want to welcome you. It's such a, you have no idea how glad we feel that you're here. And if you have any questions or if there's anything we could do for you, uh, please let us know. For the last few weeks, we have been going through this series that we have called Explore God. It's a set of teachings. Um, and it's actually what we're doing is uh, trying to give biblical answers to very important questions. Right? And as you heard in the video, um, the question that we're going to be addressing today is, why does God allow uh, pain and suffering? All right, just, just to see where we are. How many of you guys ever asked that question in your life? All right? This is, this, is, this is the thing. I believe that this is the most complicated question to answer. And part of the reason why I think that it's so complicated is because uh, it's extremely personal. Like, it doesn't matter if you are Christian or not. When suffering gets to you, it hurts, and it hurts a lot. We have all suffered somehow. We have all seen the effect of suffering in other people. And to a certain degree, we, we, we will suffer somehow. And that's part of the reason why a lot of people have kind of um, a hard time reconciling uh, the concept of pain and suffering with the existence of a good and faithful God, or reconciling the reality of pain with the existence and the power of God. And to be honest, it's, that's completely understandable. And I think that sometimes as Christians, if you are a Christian, we, we don't give the best answers. Sometimes uh, we, could be, we could easily say, well, all good things happen for a purpose. But we, but we don't stop to think that this is a personal thing. So listen to the words of these uh, philosophers. This is David Bentley, which is an American philosopher. And he says, one might well conclude... That the world contains far too much misery 
for the pious idea of a good, loving, and just God to be taken seriously. And that any alleged creator of the universe in which children suffer and die hardly deserves our devotion. It's a pretty bold statement. But I, but I think I understand his pain. Here's another uh, philosopher, David uh, uh, Hum, I believe. He was in the 1700s, a Scottish philosopher. And he said, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent. Is he able, but, is he able to but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then why there is evil? Or why is there evil? And you know, I, I, I think that I understand the guy. Even C.S. Lewis, for those of you that know C.S. Lewis, prior to his conversion, one of his arguments was, if God was good, he would wish to make his creatures happy. And if God was almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But his creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. Now, this is what I want us to see today. That those are all valid arguments. And they're valid arguments because they're, these are personal situations. Pain and suffering hurts. And in the midst of all of this, it's really hard to reconcile the idea that all of this exists, and yet God, that is powerful and good and faithful, exists at the same time. But what I want to do this morning is actually trying to make, help you think, why is it that people ask that question? And this is my conviction, that the reason why people are asking the question why is, if there is a pain and suffering, what, is there a God if there's pain and suffering? Basically, that's the question. I want to say that the reason why they're asking that question is because, because behind that person, there's a person that is actually asking a better question. How do I handle suffering? See, the question behind the question is how do I handle suffering? So the way I'm going to um, talk about this subject is, let me start by making this statement. And we're going to put the statement on the screens. This is a personal question that requires a biblical answer that points to a suffering and personal Savior. Those are my three points for today. This is a personal question, point number one, that requires a biblical answer, point number two, and that points to a suffering and personal Savior that will be Point number three. So let's go for the first one. Why do I say that this is a personal question? Now, before we do that, let me give you a little bit of context for the book of Romans here. Um, uh, because you might not, I mean, you might know, but many of you might not know that, that the book of Romans was written by this man, Paul. Uh, that he was kind of the last disciple or, or apostle of Jesus Christ. What is interesting about this man is that this man knew how to suffer. So if there's anybody in the scripture that qualifies to give us a teaching and suffering, Paul is the best person. 
and he writes this letter to a group of Christians living in Rome about uh, 57 AD after Jesus that are going through very, very, very difficult situations. So there might be going through persecution and rejected, and many of those Christians are being executed. But right in the middle of the text we just read, he says something that from a human perspective doesn't make any sense. Look at what verse 3 says. Not only so, says Paul about himself and other Christians, but we also glory or rejoice, which is that word there, in our sufferings. Now, stop there for a second and, and, and pretend like if you don't believe in God. And then you hear someone saying that we are called to glory or rejoice in suffering. And if you are not a Christian, and if you don't believe in God, that doesn't make any sense. Because it seems like if Paul is calling believers to be masochists, it seems like if Paul is saying that Christians should enjoy suffering. But that's not what Paul is doing, and I will show you that later on. I think that what Paul is doing is teaching a bunch of people that have very difficult, painful, and, and uh, terrible situations, how to handle suffering. See, Paul knows that learning how to deal with suffering, it's a human necessity. We are all wired that way. We need to learn how to handle suffering. Paul knows, once again, that this is a human necessity. And I believe that this is the reason why there are so many different religions in the world, you know? It's not just that we want to worship something, but, but the reason why we worship something is because deep down inside, we don't know how to deal with suffering and we want help. I actually think that this is the reason why there are so many philosophical arguments there's got to be a way to deal with this. If this is not going away, there's got to be a way to deal with this. And what I, want to do, what I want to do right now is to show you some of the different perspectives and how people actually deal with suffering. And we're going to put those on the screen. Now, I've changed the names just to make it a little bit more clear. But there's a group of people that when it comes to suffering, their approach is to see it as just an illusion. And I don't, I, I don't know if you noticed this uh, in a video, but someone said, well, I, I think that it's just what you make of it. You know, and that's the new age uh, approach to suffering. And they think that the way you handle suffering is by disengaging yourself or detaching yourself from the reality of pain. Super interesting because they do this by meditation and prayer, and positive thinking, and they think that these are the best tools for you to avoid the reality of pain. You know what the problem is with that, though? That when you finish your meditation, and your prayers, and your positive thinking, and you open your eyes, you're still here. And the pain is still there. Now, a second way to do this for some people 
is to think that the way you handle suffering is by thinking that it's just about doing better. And this is what I mean by this. This is a modified version of karma in which you believe that the reason why you're going through bad things and bad things happen to good people is because you have done something wrong. So if you suffer, it's simply to this group of people, if you suffer, it's simply the consequences of something that you have done wrong. And the way to handle that is to try ha harder and to try to be better, hoping that eventually suffering will stop. And that's why we use words or phrases such as, what goes around comes around. How many of you guys ever used that phrase? Or maybe sometimes we use the phrase, if, if you are a positive person, good things will happen to you. That's a modified version of karma, people. You know what the problem is with that? Number one, that it justifies suffering. And number two, which I think is even more dangerous, is that you cannot escape the reality that bad things happen to good people. That's just what it is. A third approach could be, oh, well, this is my destiny. And I find that one to be extremely um, dangerous because it's so fatalistic. It's this, this idea that, you know, we have nothing to do. This is just hopeless life. And the way to handle suffering to this group of people is to think that all you have to do is to try to be strong, hoping that these two shall pass. All you have to do is be strong and endure. You know what the problem is with that, though? And I think that you would agree with me that sometimes the weight of pain is so strong that it's stronger than your strength. I believe that this is the reason why so many people struggle with bitterness and resentment. Because you thought that you could handle suffering by trying harder. One, one, um, one more approach to suffering is to think that is, this is not about us. And this is more in some of the traditional cultures in which I think that rightly so, they believe that there are good uh, forces and evil forces. Well, but what these people believe is that when these forces have a conflict, we pay the consequences of it. Now, what is interesting is that, is that in those cultures, the way you handle suffering is by trying to stay faithful in the midst of conflicts. Nothing wrong there. The problem is that it doesn't matter how faithful you are. This is the same argument that I gave before. It doesn't matter, matter how faithful you are. At the end of the day, pain hurts so much that you're going to want to be unfaithful. And the last one, which is the most popular one today. And I believe that there are a lot of people, even within the church, that have adopted this way of seeing life and suffering, even though they don't realize it. And it's the secular mentality that says, all suffering is just an accident. It doesn't mean anything. It just happens. The most popular view right now is the core of humanism. 
in, in which this group of people cannot see that there is a purpose behind everything we go through. Now, this is what is interesting, and I want you to see, I want you to hear if this is true of you, okay? Because the way this group, the secular mind uh, handles suffering is by doing better and doing more. Super interesting. Listen, they talk about building better structures and better systems. It's about changing people's mentalities. It's about helping people remember that they are wonderfully made. It's about convincing people that we are so awesome that we have the power to change the world. You know where I hear that message more than any place else? Disney Channel. But you sit with your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids or some kid. And you're going to see that half of the commercials have to do with this. In which the power to ignore suffering and to get rid of suffering is to say, man, it's, you could do better. This is, this is the irony, though, and this is the problem with this, though. That history shows... That human beings are exactly the problem of suffering. And if we are the problem, how are we the solution? Or that throughout history, even if you're not a religious person, I think that you would agree with me. We all have this inclination to be so selfish. And to think of ourselves before we think before we think about anybody else. And that human beings have this ability and capacity to think that the strong wins and the weak dies. So if that's the mentality, how are we going to fix suffering? And every single one of these philosophies of life it's these people asking for something. Man, how do I deal with this? All right. That being said, I, plain and clear, none of those things work. It might work for a little while, but none of those things work. I believe, and I bet many of you guys believe, that the reason, the only way that we actually learn how to handle suffering is by having a biblical conviction of why is it that there's suffering in the world, and what is it that the Bible says, and how, what should be our approach to dealing with suffering and pain and the struggles. And for that, we're going to look at verse, this will be point number two, and for this, we're looking at verses three, four, and five, the beginning of verse five. And this is what Paul says. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, notice this, because we know. Now stop there for a second. Because the word know there is not just information. The word know there is knowledge that comes from experience. So Paul is about to talk about something that he knows by personal experience. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. This beautiful verse 
5, and hope does not put us to shame. And in these three verses alone, Paul shows us his view on suffering and what makes our Christianity unique when it comes to this topic. Remember when he says glory? He's inviting believers to rejoice in what they go through. Just, just, just in case the word rejoice doesn't mean enjoy like, yay! That's not what it means. The word rejoice is know that there's a bigger, better, more beautiful, powerful reason for why we go through the things that we go through. He's inviting us to see that behind everything we go through, everything you have gone through and everything you will go through, there's a better and bigger reason for it. There is actually a purpose. Why is it that everything happens to us? Let me say that again. There is a purpose behind everything we go through. And this is what Paul says. And this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. Is because he says that suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. Those are three key words for us to understand. See, the word perseverance there could be translated as patience or endurance. Actually, some scholars would say that what Paul has in mind there is to describe patient endurance. And what he's saying is that suffering has the ability and capacity to develop in his people, in God's people, a patient endurance. Now, this is, the, the, this is important because the word perseverance there, it's, an, it's a word picture, meaning that it, that it represents something else. And it gives us this idea of, of um, pressing something down to get something out of it, like grapes. You know that if you want to get juice out of grapes, all you have to do is press it down. Or the, the image is also um, this of crushing something down to get something out of it, like olives, to get oil. So in that sense, what Paul is saying is that suffering has the ability and capacity to get something out of us. And that's not necessarily something evil. It could be something good. Now, the word character there is the word test. And what Paul is saying is that suffering has the ability to test how genuine we are. Once again, pain and difficult situations have the ability to reveal something about you. It could reveal something positive about you or reveal something negative about you. But in every single situation... Suffering has the potential to shape you in a way that nothing else can. And in every single situation, suffering is like a purifying or refining thing that God uses to change you. And he shows you things that you probably didn't know you had. And he shows you things that are good that you didn't know you had. So here I was thinking about this this week because um, 
Uh, I think that there has been seasons in my life in which my life has been really complicated. And I don't have the time to explain here. And you're going to start crying. And then you're thinking that I'm appealing to your emotions. None of that stuff. But it's, I've had different difficult situations in my life. And this is what I've learned, though. That every time I go through something that is painful, every time I go through something that is painful, my heart automatically is revealed. And this is some of the things that I constantly um, see. Number one, that I'm still a very impatient person. I know that from there I look really holy. I'm not that holy. <laughs> and every single difficult situation has shown me that I lack gentleness, for example. And every single difficult situation shows me how much I trust myself. And how little I trust the God I preach about. And every single difficult situation reveals something about the things that I have inside that I don't think is an issue. You know, and I have discovered that my weak point is my wife and my daughters. And if something wrong goes with them, all this junk comes out. And I'm so quick to try to fix instead of pray, for example. And he's so quick to try to do things instead of asking for advice. And he's, I'm so quick to try to fix something instead of asking for help, for example. And I believe that that's your case as well. And I believe that part of the reason why God allows Pain and suffering is because you have to see what's killing you inside. It's a good thing, even if it hurts. And at the same time, I believe, because that's what Paul says, that pain and suffering allows you to see maybe good things that you may have. So this is super weird. What I'm about to say is super weird, but, but, I, but I'm convinced that this is the reality of it. You know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this here before, but I grew up without, without a father. So, you know, but I come from a single mom. And that had in, in itself had a bunch of issues because of that, right? Not because of my mom, but because of lack of father, right? But I, I, as I became a father, you know, I, I realized that for me, actually trying to be involved in my girls' lives became really easy. You know why? Because I just wanted to give my girls what I never had. So the reason why I want to be invested in my girls' lives, when I say girls because it's two girls, is because I never had that. So you have no idea how much I struggle. Every time I hear a man saying, oh, I'm just this way because I never had a good role model. Go the opposite, dude, man. You know, if your father was lame here, do the opposite. See, I discover that God gave me this ability to want to be involved in my daughter's life because I grew up without a father. See, but I would have never discovered that, I believe, unless God allows pain and suffering into my life. And by no means I'm saying that I have rejoiced in not having a father in my life. What I am saying is that because of that, I think that I'm a better dad. 
And I hope that because of that, I'm a better husband. And I hope that because of that, I'm a better preacher. Because that's how God works with suffering. He reveals the things that might kill you. And he reveals the things that he already gave you. You see how unique Christianity is when it comes to suffering. We don't, we don't accept any of the other ideas. Because Christianity offers a definition of suffering, a purpose of suffering that is completely different to everything else. But Paul uses one more word. And he says that suffering produces hope. And he adds and he says that that hope does not put us to shame. Now, if you know something about the biblical concept of hope, is this idea that Christians are certain of what is yet to come. That Christians are certain that what is coming is much better, much bigger, much more beautiful than what we have here. The idea of hope is that we know that God is making all things new and that what is broken now, eventually, at one point, it would all be fixed when Jesus returns. So listen how this author puts it. The biblical view of the future and hope is not just a consolation for the life you never had but the restoration of the life you always wanted. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Let me say it again so you could tweet it. <laughs> and then put my name on it because I'm reading it. <laughs> the biblical view of the future is not just a consolation of the life you never had, but the restoration of the life you always wanted. And this is what Paul says that suffering does. It intensifies and magnifies your desire for what is yet to come. I know it doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to prove it to you. Let's say that you get a nightmare. And in that nightmare, you lose all your family. And in that nightmare, you lose all the people you love. And in that nightmare, everything goes wrong. And if you ever had a nightmare, you know that it feels real. But then you wake up. And when you wake up, something changed. Because all you want is to see your spouse or to see your kids or to see your grandchildren. And all you want to do is to run. All you want to do is run to them and to hug them and to kiss them and to embrace them. You know why? Because this very painful situation here magnified and intensified the desire for this thing here. And that's exactly what suffering does with us. It magnifies and intensifies our desire for what is yet to come. See, every time I see the news, every time I sit and talk to people in pain in this church, every time I go through something really ugly and really painful, the, what the Lord does is that he uses that pain, that suffering, that struggle to intensify and magnify my desire for what is yet to come. 
And then we find ourselves saying things like, Lord, please come. That's the reason why Paul says, glorify, glory in your sufferings. Rejoice in your sufferings. Boast about your sufferings. Brag about your sufferings. Because they produce hope. See, can you see how unlike the New Age movement and unlike the New Age approach to suffering, Christianity doesn't ignore pain and its struggles. The Bible does not undermine the reality and the weight of your pain. See, unlike the karma approach to suffering that says that you suffer because you did something wrong, the Bible says that might be true. But the reality is that we live in a broken world with broken people in which maybe you're going to have to suffer even if you didn't do anything wrong. Unlike the fatalistic approach to suffering, which says, well, that's just the way it is. Christianity says that in every situation, there is an opportunity for you to grow, to change, to trust, and to hope. Unlike the secular mentality that sees no purpose in suffering, Christianity says that every suffering God brings into your life and allows into your life has a beautiful purpose behind it. Even if you cannot see it. You know, this is the secular argument. I don't see any reason why this happened. But you know that the Bible is full of examples in which it seems like if you don't know that there's a purpose, but then at the end of the story, you realize that there was a purpose. A beautiful and amazing purpose. You know, the best three examples in the Bible are three J's. Joseph... Job and Jesus. You could tweet that too. <laughs> you know, I know that many of you know the story of Joseph. This is a man, he was, he was a, uh, an arrogant boy that, they, that had no wisdom. And he didn't know how to speak to his brothers. And because of that, his brothers sold him into slavery. And because of that, he was taken to a different land. And he went through a lot of painful uh, things in his life. But at the end of the story, you know that God used Joseph in a way that nobody expected that that would happen. He elevated Joseph to protect his people, even though it was painful. And at the end of the story, you see Joseph having a conversation with his brothers, and this is what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended, uh, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many families. Isn't that a crazy statement? Yeah, you have plans for me. God, different pl God had different plans. You know, the story of Job, uh, Job, did I say that right? Yeah, Job is really interesting because this is a man that in a, in a fragment of time loses everything. He loses things. He loses family. He loses reputation. He loses respect. He loses health. And if you read, his, you read the story, you realize that he never, never got an answer on why he was suffering. But this is what he learned. At the end of the story, he got a better picture and understanding of who he was and who God was. And he says, my ears had heard of you, 
but now my eyes have seen you. Behind every painful and difficult situation in your life, there's a greater purpose, even if you can see it. But the best example, of course, it'll be Jesus. This is a perfect man that suffered more than anybody else. This is a blameless man that never did anything wrong, that was always obedient. This is a man of compassion and love. And yet, he was rejected, ignored, physically and verbally abused. When he goes to the cross and when he's in Gethsemane, right when he goes to the, to the cross, he experienced such a pain, such an anxiety, such a fear that he sweats blood. And you would say, well, that's not fair. And when he goes to the cross, he continues to experience humiliation and shame and rejection. And at the cross, he feels lonely, completely abandoned by his friends and followers. And you will say, well, that's not fair. And at the cross, he experienced what it means to feel completely alone, not even the presence of God with him. So here's the question. What was the purpose of that suffering? And the answer is you. This is point number three, and this is going to be really quick. If you go from the beginning, verse one, he talks about us being justified through faith. You know why Jesus had to suffer the way he suffered? So you could be justified. So you could be forgiven. So you could be accepted. So God sees you through him as completely clean. And he says that the reason why Jesus went through this suffering is so you could experience peace, the text says. And if you have peace, you have nothing to be afraid of. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins, you have peace with God, regardless of what you do. And Paul says that it's because of Jesus' suffering that we experience grace. It is precisely because of our suffering that we know that everything we are and everything we have, we did not work for. It was given to us. All grace. It is because of the suffering of Jesus that we have hope. We know that because Jesus died and resurrected, what is yet to come is a secure thing. It is because of the suffering of Jesus that we know that God loves us. And that love does not go away. It is because of the suffering of Jesus that we know that we have the Holy Spirit. Which is super interesting because... The main struggle in suffering is to think that you're alone. But if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have repented, the Holy Spirit never goes away, therefore you're never alone. This is the crazy thing. The God of the universe is with you, in you. And that's all because of the suffering of one man. That happened to be God. See, if you're a Christian, you can never ask the question, why does God allow this? The question is, why not? So let me finish with this. Let me give you Emily's testimony, okay? Emily is a, is a lady that was married, Christian lady, married with this man for a long time. Perfect marriage. They came to church, they read the Bible. 
They had good kids. Everything was going well. One day, the man comes home and says, honey, we can't be together anymore. I fell in love with a different woman. I got to go. And that woman happened to be a relative, a friend. And she goes, what? What is happening? What, what happened? And he says, well, it just happened. It just happened. And she says, what are you going to do? What are you going to tell the kids? How are we going to tell the kids? He says, don't worry. I'll, I'll tell them. He goes and talks to the kids and says, listen, kids, I got to go. And the kids ask why. And he says, well, I just got to go. This is not working anymore. I just got to go. And from that point on, her life was worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And things got from bad, from bad to worse. And many months passed by. And she, started, she starts to see what Paul means when, he says, when, he, when Paul says, glory in your suffering. And this is what she says. In the midst of these horrible situations, where my whole identity and where my family has been attacked, I see glimpses of what God is doing and how my life and our lives will be changed. And I get excited to see who I get to be at the end of all this. Like being in a race where it starts to rain and you hit a mud pit, you cannot go around it. You have to go through it. And the rain and the mud feels heavy and you cannot go through it fast. You must concentrate on each painful step. But at the same time, something is keeping you upright and compelling you to continue. In the distance, you see what appears to be a sheet of, a sheet of rain, almost like a car wash rains, and then you see it, the sun. It is perfectly clear. The person you will be there will be stronger, with more understanding of how to run this race with satisfaction and peace. Yes, that person is tired, but they are, they are also energized by the experience. Now listen to this. I cannot wait to use what God has taught me. I cannot wait to learn more. I have explained it to my children like this. In every fairy tale, there is always a tragedy. And the protagonist faces that adversity. And then overcomes it. And thrives because of it. God is giving us our fairy tale. What do you see at the end? Can you see how unique our faith is? What do you see at the end? Amen? Let's pray. Lord and Savior, we come because we are sinful people in need of a faithful Savior. And Lord, as we struggle, just like everybody else, with pain and suffering, Lord, we, we, we don't want to ask, why do you allow it or permit it? We want to ask, what can we learn from this and how can we grow through this? Please, Lord, give us eyes to see and minds to understand and hearts to embrace. That even when you bring difficult situations into our lives, there's a beautiful purpose behind it. 
there's people here struggling, Lord, please help them. Please allow them to see. Please help them rest and see. And we thank you, Lord, for your provision. And we thank you, Lord, because you have been faithful. And now we pray, Lord, for these offerings. And we pray, Lord, that you use them for the expansion of your kingdom and for more and more people to get to know you. I pray for the families that might be struggling financially. Lord, I pray that you may be their provider. Trusting you, Lord, that you work not necessarily when you take pain away, but you always work through pain. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say...